uh, Judges chapter 9 and verse 21. The Bible says, And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Bear and went and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jerubal might come and their blood be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. And the men of Shechem sent liars in wait for him in the top of the mountains, and they robbed all that came along that way by them. And it was told Abimelech, and Gael the son of Ebed came with his brethren and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. In verse 27, and they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod the grapes and made merry and went into the house of their God and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. And let's pray. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you for loving us. You certainly are a great God. Lord, we come to you realizing, Lord, that we need you. We need to hear from you. Lord, we came to give you glory. And now we want to spend some time with you, learning from your word. I pray you'll help me to get out of the way and may you flow through me and use me, clear my mind. Give me the words you'd have me to say. Help us as we go through the story this morning. And Lord, I won't spend too much time on one thing, but just say exactly what you want. Be with the nursery and the teens and, and be with uh, uh, the, the, the children, Lord. I pray you be with those online and, and our site churches, Lord, and all that you have going on with us today. I pray that you'll be glorified and you'll be lifted up and you'll be praised. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, several years ago, there was a pastor who many would say was humor inspired. And he was always looking for that good joke to share on Sunday morning. And he went to a conference where there was many dynamic speakers, uh, very uh, much uh, well-known speakers. And the first one to get up to speak was equally so. And he was one of the greatest speakers, if you will. And, and he started telling, very well respected, and he started telling a story about years ago, after he had gathered the entire crowd's attention, he said, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman that wasn't my wife. The crowd was shocked. In fact, uh, they just couldn't believe it. I mean, this man they respected so well would say such a thing. And then he followed up by say, saying, and that woman was my mother. Well, the crowd laughed and thought it was funny. And the man that was there, the pastor that was looking for jokes at all, I mean, that's it. I'm going to use that on Sunday. And as you know, when you ever try to copy someone, it never goes over as well as they did. And that Sunday morning, he gets up with as confident as possible and walks to the pulpit. And he starts off his message by saying, the greatest years of my life were spending in the arms of another woman that was not my wife. And the congregation inhaled deeply and thought, whoa, what? We didn't know this about our pastor, and why? We would have never hired him, never would have voted him in. But after standing there for about 10 seconds, the pastor's mind started going foggy, and he could not remember the rest of the joke. (laughs) And the people were just sitting there and thought, how in the world? What is going on? And he's sitting there thinking, what am I going to say? So to try to recall and try to get out of it, he finally blurted out, and I can't remember who she was. (laughs) And uh, so anyways, this morning, I 
do you remember who my wife is? And, uh, and I'm thankful for my mom and, of course, my wife this morning. But this morning, well, you say, what did that have to do with the message? Absolutely not. I couldn't even try to tie them together. But I wanted to share that with you, okay? And uh, the Bible says in verse 21, this is where we left off last week. If you remember Jotham, uh, of course, Abimelech, he, he deceitfully got into power. Uh, God had, had put everybody in power up to that point. He had inspired every judge, called every judge, installed every judge. But Abimelech wanted to install himself. And the only way he could do that was through trickery. He influenced the uh, elders of Shechem to come on his side. And he says, look... Let me be your leader, not my brothers. In fact, my brothers, and by the way, of course, if you remember the story, Gideon had 70 sons. And uh, that's not counting his daughters either. He had multiple wives. He had lived like a king, even though he wasn't one. And Gideon, of course, was through Gideon's concubine. I mean, uh, uh, Abimelech was through Gideon's concubine uh, from Shechem. And so uh, uh, Abimelech actually used that to his advantage. He says, look... Out of all my brothers, I'm the one who will have your best interest. And if you remember, Abimelech uh, went to Shechem because Shechem was the, one of the most powerful cities in Israel at that time. And he thought if he could get them on his side, he could be king. And true to what he thought, he, he pulled off. And if you remember, they gave him 70 pieces of silver. He bought his own mercenary army who went through and killed 69 of his brothers and only one of them escaped. And his name was Jotham. Jotham being the youngest, he came upon the mountain there and he shouted out to Shechem. Uh, the elders of Shechem said, what are you doing? And he gives him a parable of three trees, uh, the olive, the fig, and of course the vine. And those were the most uh, productive. That was the agriculture center gate brought all the money in, all the wealth in to Israel at that time. And he says, you could have any one of those rule over, but instead you picked the bramble, the worst possible tree there was. In fact, the bramble was known for being so dry, it would burst into flames and really burn the whole uh, side of the mountain. And it was something that was very dangerous. So we see that he gives them this warning and saying, Abimelech's going to end up burning you. And they said, yeah, okay. And they stuck with Abimelech. Well, we come to our, our verse today. Of course, Jotham, after he says that, he runs away. Hey, we think he's this big, bold guy who's going to stand up to Abimelech. No, no. He flees to Bear, which is just out of Abimelech's reach. Of course, remember, Abimelech didn't take over all of Israel. He, he started with Shechem, and everyone else kind of just followed in the line. But there were some areas that didn't really submit to him. And Abimelech had to try to, to conquer them and win them over. And the Bible says in verse 22, And when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel. Now, if you remember, we kind of stopped last week by saying, Where is God in all this? For 21 verses now, now 23 verses, God is not mentioned. Where is God? How would someone be able to kill all their brothers on the stone and, and, and deceitfully take over the crown? And if God always installed the judges, why would he let Abimelech, of all people, still reign for three years and get this posh lifestyle and all this money? He was ch- charging taxes, if you will, getting all this money in. He was, he was enjoying the influence and the power of being a king. And where is God in all this? Why would God allow... Do you ever feel like that sometimes in your life? Where is God? Now, I know that God is sovereign over all. I know he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. The heart of the king is in his hand. I get all that. 
And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, in Romans 8, 28, we know all this, but where is God sometimes? I don't feel his presence. I don't see his hand. I don't know where he is. And the truth of the matter is, when God finally got involved, those people did not know where he was either. Because if you look at verse 23, the Bible says, Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. God is at work here, but they don't see it. And by the way, oftentimes God is at work when we don't see it either. We just got to trust that he's in control. And we see this morning that God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. He's trying to put them against each other. And how does this spirit work? Well, the Bible says, And the men of Shechem dwelt, dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Much like the evil spirit that came upon Saul when he started throwing the javelins at David, now the evil spirit comes upon uh, uh, Abimelech here and upon the men of Shechem and they deal treacherously. That word treacherously kind of give us the meaning that they kind of deflected uh, uh, what they had done and putting Abimelech in power and they said, you know what? We're not going to serve Abimelech anymore. We're going to go do things on our own. We're going to take it into our hands. They're getting tired of his tyrannical reign, if you will. And the Bible says in verse 24 that the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jerubal might come. In other words, that word cruelty there means punishment. So the punishment is going to come unto the elders of Shechem, but also into Abimelech, the Bible says. And their blood be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them, and the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. So we see here the Shechemites are having second thoughts of Abimelech. And the Bible says in verse 25, and the men of Shechem sent liars in wait for him in the tops of the mountains. So those two mountains were Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And so what would happen here is Shechem is kind of in this little pocket, if you will, between these two mountains. And the only way to get to it is through uh, the valley here. And if you got that picture there, you can kind of see modern day, how it kind of looks. You see Mount Ebal to the right, Mount Gerizim to the left, and Shechem is right there in the middle. If you want to go to the next picture, you can kind of see it a little more clear in a diagram here. You see those two mountains, and then you see Shechem. The only way there was through that pass. And uh, when we lived in Turlock, if we wanted to go to the Bay Area, we had to go through uh, 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 the Almeida Pass there. We had to go through it. And the only way to get through it was taking the, the, the uh, 205. And, and, and usually the only way through it was a bu- behind a bunch of red lights. You know? And that's the only way through. And that's kind of how it is here. The only way to get to Shechem is through this area. So naturally what they did was they, they, they had uh, 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 robbers and bands of men who would come. And they would steal the tribute money that would come in. They would steal everything. And they were looking for a chance to get at Abimelech, the Bible says. And they robbed all that came along that way by them. And it was told Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, who kind of oversaw probably the biggest area of this, saw a huge advantage. Well, hey, I mean, let's go rob him too. Him and his brethren, the Bible says, of Ebed came with his brethren and went over to Shechem. And uh, he, was from, he was a true Canaanite. And his brethren were part of him. Joseph has said he was probably a chief uh, with his soldiers and kinsmen. He kind of had his own little following and Gael thought, saw a perfect opportunity. Well, let's come and steal from Abimelech. And so we see a revolt forming here. And uh, the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. The men of Shechem said, look, if Abimelech's going to just rule us with an iron fist, and if he's going to put us under his thumb, then now we're going to follow Gael. And they switched sides. 
And it's interesting here how they went to Gale and it wasn't any better because the Bible says in verse 27, and they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod the grapes and made merry. They made some cheap wine. They went to the house of their God and did eat, drink, and cursed Abimelech. Now what's interesting here, the house of their God was a temple, Belbereth. And what they're doing here is, is more symbolic. Now, we look at this and say, well, what's, 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 what's so bad about it? Shechemites, instead of going uh, around behind Abimelech, who's just a wicked king, now they're going to go and, and, and get under Baal. What's the difference? Well, it's really symbolic because, uh, 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 because Gael was uh, a Canaanite. He also was connected with Belpereth, and he says, look, you need to stop following Abimelech because he stands for the God Yahweh, and he's an Israelite. Therefore, we need to forsake him and forsake his God. And the elders of Shechem, isn't it interesting how Abimelech was the worst possible representation of a Christian there was. But yet people still knew that he was connected with the true God. Of course, we know. And they wanted nothing to do with it. Really, the, the elders of Shechem were even taking it a step further from not just sponsoring Abimelech. But now they say, we want nothing to do with God. We want nothing to do with Abimelech. We want to go full board on the Canaanite. We want to go back to who we were. And it's interesting here how they curse Abimelech. They curse Yahweh. They curse Abimelech as Goliath uh, cursed David. Of course, David was a much better leader than Abimelech ever would hope to be. And isn't it a sad state of affairs that the only two leaders they had to choose from were both wicked men? One seemingly better than the other. And Gael, the Bible says in verse 28, the son of Ebed said, Who is Abimelech? Who is Shechem? He's mocking them, that we should serve him. Is he not the son of Jerubal and Zebal, his officer? Serve the men of Hamer, the father of Shechem. He's saying, hey, I am a true Canaanite. I will get you back to your true national heritage, and I will be lead Shechem in the way it should go. What a great political speech, right? He made him all these promises, but he had nothing to back it up with. He was simply a thief and a robber. And the only way he was successful is because the element of surprise and he could attack these people. And he says there, would to God, verse 28, these people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. And he says, Abimelech increased thine army. Now why would he say that? Abimelech wasn't even there. Because he knew there were some leaders that were still on Abimelech's side and he was trying to flush them out. He was trying to see who was really behind him, Gael was. And so Gael starts getting the whole city of Shechem on his side, all the leaders, at least for the most part. And he's starting to feel pretty good about himself. And Zebul, the Bible says in verse 30, the ruler of the city, this is probably the governor, he's probably in charge of the military. He uh, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, and his anger, anger was kindled. And so he sent messengers unto Abimelech privately. He didn't want Gael to know that he did this. Uh, I think he was trying to play the part of a politician here where he's trying to cater to both sides. He, he, he was really employed by Abimelech, but if Gael was going to take over, he wanted, he wanted to be employed by Gael, you know, whatever one. And he's trying to play the fields here and uh, really was a, a, a deceitful man. And he sent messengers unto Abimelech and, and he says, hey, they're fortifying the city against thee. Abimelech, you're losing power fast. There's a revolt happening. You better do something about it. So the Bible says in verse 32, Now therefore, they up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie and wait in the field. And Zebul says, here's what I think you should do, Abimelech. You should come up during the night with the element of surprise. Beat Gale at his own game. Gale is good at surprises. Now you need to do the same trickery and you need to get him back. And so Abimelech does, he comes. 
And verse 33, And it shall be in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early and set upon the city. And behold, when he and the people that is with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do them as thou shalt find occasion. And Abimelech rose up, and all the people that were with him by night, and they laid wait against Shechem in four companies. So he divides his army in four different companies, and he says, okay, as soon as the, the twinkling of the light comes on a day, we're going to spread out, and we're going to be ready to attack, because they're going to open the gates up, they're going to come out and work throughout the day, they're going to work their fields, work their crops, they've got to have food, they've got to have water to survive, and when that time's come, we're going to hit them hard. So Abimelech has this plan in his mind that was given him by Zebul. And the Bible says in verse 35, And Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entry of the gate. Of course, Gael's feeling pretty confident about himself. He's got all the people on his side in his mind. He's ready to go. He goes to the, 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 the gate and he, he's called Abimelech up. And he says, okay, here it comes. I'm going to squash him. Now keep in mind, Gael's never really won a battle probably face to face. He's only won by the element of surprise. And Abimelech here is playing his game and actually is coming with a greater surprise. And the Bible says in verse 36, And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Behold, there come people down from the top of the mountains. <laughs> Gael says, Hey, Zebul, there, there's people coming down. How did they know what I was going to do? And Zebul says, ah, oh, you're seeing things. There's nobody coming down. Those are just shadows. And Gail says, what? No, those are people. Have you ever tried to convince someone that something's not happening when it really is? You know, you're a horrible liar. You know, Zebul here is trying. I know, no one's going to commit to that. Yeah, I'm a horrible liar. No, that's not me, you know. And, and Gail here is, is coming down with his group. Abimelech's coming together. And uh, verse 37, and Gail spake again and said, See, there come down people by the middle of the land, and another company come along by the plain of Minoan. Then said Zebul unto him, Where is now thy mouth? <laughs> Zebul. He's saying, There's nobody there. And Gail says, Yeah, there are. There's people coming from everywhere. And Zebul says, Well, stand up and be a man. Put your money where your mouth is. Get out there and fight them. Can you imagine? Zebul's trying to deceive him, and then he says, well, go out and go get him. What, a, what an amazing, I mean, can you imagine me and Gail thinking, Zebul, I thought you were on my side here. Zebul says, I am. No, Zebul's on Abimelech's side. No, I'm on Gail's side. Well, I'm on, I'm on whatever, and I, I think, this is my personal opinion, that Zebul was trying to get Gail and Abimelech to fight each other and kill each other so then he could be the next leader, and I will never know if that was true. That's just my uh, perspective. And the Bible says in verse number 37, uh, uh, verse 38, Then Zebul said unto him, Where is now thy mouth? Go out, I pray, and fight with them. And Gael went out, verse 39, before the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. He takes the elders that would go with him. He says, all right, here we go, let's go beat Abimelech. And so he goes out there, he goes to fight him, and Abimelech chased him, the Bible says, and he fled before him, and many were overthrown and wounded even into the entering of the gate. And Gael obviously feels the effects of Abimelech. And man, they're feeling the weight of the battle and they're suffering their losses. And they go back to Shechem. They close the gates just in time for Abimelech not to get in there. And they start uh, protecting the city. And Gael's thinking, oh man, that did not go like I wanted. And the elders of Shechem are saying, wait a minute here. Gael, I thought you were going to lead us to victory. What's going on here? And Zebel's over there saying, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to win this thing, one way or the other. Well, the Bible says there, Abimelech dwelt at Arumah. Arumah was just a few miles away, and he was waiting for his next uh, plan of attack. And Zebul, 
of course, seeing that Gail obviously is not going to win this thing. He then concocts his plan, and he gets the leaders together. And, of course, Gail is probably talking to the leaders, trying to get, they're probably asking him, as I'm sure you have before, maybe you as a wife, all right, honey, what's, what's next? What's our next step of the plan? And the husband's sitting there saying, let me get back to you on that, okay? And, uh, and they're talking here, what's going to happen? And, uh, and Zebel could tell, Gail does not have it. And so he, he, he starts planting these seeds of mischievousness and misinformation and, and saying, basically, he makes Gail out to be this awful person. And then the elders of Shechem hear this and say, wow, we, we're done with you, Gail. And Zebel says, get out of here. Man, Zebel is just this, this uh, sneaky... Uh, a smart guy, of course he's governor, and he gets them pushed out. And the Bible says in verse 43, And he took the people and divided them into three companies, and lay wait in the field, Abimelech dead, and looked, and behold, the people were come forth out of the city, being pushed out by Zebul. And, uh, and, and Abimelech rose, he, Abimelech, rose up against them and smote them. And Abimelech, the company that was with them, rushed forward and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. And two other companies ran upon all the people that were in the fields and slew them. And Abimelech intercepts the people before they were able to get back into the safety of the gate of the city. And he's now ready to take this city back over. He's infuriated. He's mad that these people revolted, that they switched sides on him. And he's going to show them who's boss. The Bible says, And Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and slew the people that was therein, and beat down the city. And then he went a step further, and he sowed the city with salt. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know, if you sell, put salt all over the ground, you see this throughout history, that the ground's worthless. It can't grow anything. Now, do you really think that Abimelech had enough salt to do the whole city? I, I don't know if he did or not. But what he did do is enough of it so the people knew it was a symbol. That I am done with you. I'm going to destroy you and you will never be powerful again. And so Abimelech there goes and squelches this city. But some of them escaped. The Bible says in verse number 46, And when all the men of the tower of Shechem heard that, they entered into a hold of the house of God at Bereth. And so some of these leaders who they knew, as evil must have told them, Abimelech's coming after you, they get up into this tower. There's about a thousand of them. Of course, this is also the temple. It's the house of their God. They're running into the safety of their false God, and they think they're going to be okay. And God says, oh, no, no, I have something else for you. Abimelech, the Bible says in verse number 47, it was told the men of Abimelech that all the men of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together. Abimelech goes up to Mount Zalman and he and all the people that were with them. Of course, Zalman means shady. There's a lot of trees in that area. And all the people that were with him, Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees, laid it on his shoulder. And he says, hey, I want you all to do what I just did. So they cut these big branches down and they walk up to this tower and they throw them all down around it. And Abimelech says, light it up on fire. And so they do. So the, they literally get, the people in the tower get burned to death or they die from all the smoke that's in there. And Abimelech destroys all of Shechem, all the elders, and literally fulfills the very uh, parable that Jotham gave and that, that, that Abimelech was going to burn him by fire and it happens. And the last thing the elders of Shechem ever remember are, it's true. What God's man told us is true. We have been destroyed. Now, if you're sitting there like me, you're thinking, well, that's great. I'm glad the elders of Shechem have been taken care of. I mean, they deserve that. But Pimelech is the one who does it? And then he gets away? I mean, that's not fair. What's wrong? 
God, what are you doing? I mean, I'm glad you sent that evil spirit, but there surely should be something more you're doing, God. Well, the Bible says in verse number 50, then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes. Now, what's interesting here is Abimelech really has nothing to do with Thebes. He's not mad at them. They didn't do anything to him. As far as I can study out, I can't see anything. Why would Abimelech go to Thebes? Why do you need to destroy Thebes? Why would you destroy your own countrymen? Why would you destroy the very people who are going to keep paying tribute to you? What are you doing? Thebes did nothing to you. And the only conclusion I can come up with is his anger, his drive, his desire to destroy and to kill is what drove him to actually destruct himself. You say, well, how did Abimelech get destructed? I mean, he destroyed Shechem. He's going to do the same thing here. They're going to cut bows down. They're going to start a fire. He's going to take Thebes, right? And Abimelech does something at Thebes that he does not do at Shechem. And it's very interesting. The Bible says in verse 51, And there was a strong tower within the city, and thither fled all the men and women. It's interesting how these towers are everywhere. It's showing us here that this this constant mention of towers showed a disturbed state of Israel. And all because... They do not trust in their God. They live in fear, constant fear. May I say, when you turn your back on God and serve Satan, serve your flesh, the world, you'll live in constant fear eventually. What's going to happen to me? Are they truly my friend? But it's amazing how God's people don't, don't live that way when they put God first in their life. But we see that through wickedness, may, may, though wickedness may prosper a while, it will not prosper always. So Abimelech comes to the tower he fought against it, which is what he did in Shechem. But he does something that he does not do in Shechem and Thebes. He goes hard unto the door of the tower. So what does that mean? He went close to the door. He was being bold. He was showing that you're going to see my face. Not just going to hear that I do this, but I'm going to destroy you by myself. I'm going to light this wood on fire. And when he gets there, driven by hatred, thirst for revenge, despised, he despised the danger. The Bible says in verse 53, a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. So Abimelech gets up there and he looks up in time to see a woman throwing a rock down on him. And can you imagine him being froze there and seeing that rock coming, thinking I should probably get out of the way? I should probably, and it hits him. And it's amazing. When something like that hits you, it doesn't do well for you. Okay. Abimelech here falls down, and as he's sitting there, he realizes he's going to die. And he does not want it to be said that he got killed by a woman, verse 54. And so he calls unto his young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. Isn't it interesting? that this wannabe king who was installed by the children of Israel wrongly and the first king that was ever installed by Samuel through God, Saul, both died the same way. Their young men slew them because they allowed their selfishness and rage to lead them to that point. And we see this morning in verse 56, actually verse 55, and when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed Every man into his place. After the death of Abimelech, his army was dissolved. And the Israelites who formed Abimelech's army. And the Bible says in verse 56, Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father, and slay 
slaying his bro- 70 brethren, and all the men of, evil men of Shechem did God render upon their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. And here we see the murderer of his brothers on one stone is slain by a stone flung on his head. And the treacherous idolaters are treacherously burnt in the temple of their idol. And what do we see? God is at work. And so this morning I have three points that I will get done in the next 12 minutes. Don't watch the clock. But I want to give you your blanks here today. I want to give you three things that I, I, the Lord kind of brought out for me. There's many more, I'm sure. I'm sure you could give me ten more. But I want to just give you three. First of all, God is not absent in his plan. If you're writing this morning, God is not absent in his plan. Though God doesn't seem present, he is not absent. Two sisters were playing together when their eight-year-old Martha said to her little sister, let's play school. Jenny wasn't at the least bit interested and said, no, I don't want to play school. We're off of school for break. I don't want to play school while we're off. Finally, she was convinced to play. And she said, okay, I'll play. Mark me absent. (laughs) And maybe that's how you and I have felt at times with God. God, where are you? Where are you? God says, don't worry. I'm not absent in my plan. Charles Swindoll said, Who of us has not longed for a word from God, searched for a glimpse of his power, or yearned for the reassurance of his presence? Yet later, we realize how very present he was all along. I think we sang that song last week, Farther Along, we'll know all about it. Farther Along will understand why. Why? Because God is omniscient. He's all-powerfully sovereign. And he is in control. There's two disciples, if you remember, on the way, road to Emmaus. They're discouraged. Jesus has been crucified. And they're walking along thinking they'll never see Jesus again. And lo and behold, Jesus walked with them. And they didn't even realize it, if you remember the story. And at the end of their journey, he finally revealed himself to them. Oftentimes, in our journey, we don't see Jesus. We don't feel his presence, but he's walking with us all along. Dr. Al Fossil tells a story about a gentleman who would fall asleep in church from time to time. And one day, the power went out in the church service, and Dr. Fossil just kept on preaching. He, he had his notes memorized. And uh, the crowd kept listening. But in the midst of all that, the gentleman woke up. I thought, oh no, what happened? And he finally stood up and said, hey, help me, I'm blind. Much to the crowd's enjoyment, his embarrassment, and to one blessed pastor, poetic justice. Oftentimes we think, God, where are you? Can't see you. We've all heard a story about the burning house and the young boy who needed to jump and his dad said jump son i'll catch you his son said i can't see you and his dad says but i can see you and that's all that matters and that is what jesus christ can see you and me no matter what we're going through and he is right there beside us hebrews thirteen five, i will never leave thee nor forsake thee god is in control of your life too if you're writing 
and he will accomplish his purposes in his time. Christians don't believe in coincidence, if you're writing. We believe in providence. The Bible shows us in Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I'm thankful this morning that God wants to direct our steps, even though we can't see what's coming up next. But we can always trust in him. First of all, this morning we see God is not absent in his plan. But second of all, I want us to see this morning that God admonishes us to be patient in the midst of his plan. How do you think Jotham felt after he shared what God wanted him to share and then he ran and hid for years? How long? Do you think Abimelech forgot about his brother being alive? He probably had to hide from him for months, years. Wondering, God, this is no life for me to live. What are you doing, God? And God says, hey, will you just be patient? I have a plan that's being worked. Psalms 103 verse 8 shows us God is patient. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. G. Campbell Morgan said this wise statement, Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means, first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. Are you waiting for God's command? May you be busy serving him in the process. But don't go forward until he's given you the marching orders. Several years ago, a family was vacationing in the lake one summer. The dad was busy tinkering on a boat by the boathouse. And the 12-year-old and 3-year-old boys were playing by the pond. And the boy saw the little boat that was tied to the post and thought, Well, I'm going to try to get in there. And he walked to the edge of the dock and one foot was there and he put the other foot in the boat and he slipped and fell off the dock into about five or six feet of water, the three-year-old. And he couldn't swim and the boy, 12-year-old boy, saw what happened and let out a piercing scream. The dad ran over and said, what happened? He said, well, Johnny fell in the pond and he's right over there. And the dad jumped in and fell and he couldn't find him. He came up for air and he went down again and finally he grabbed the boy. The boy had clung to the pole of the deck underwater and the dad finally rescued him and pried his fingers off the pole and took him up forward and when the adrenaline and the nervousness had worn off he said son he said what why, why were you clinging to that pole why didn't you come up for air and the little boy laced with wisdom that only a toddler could give said i was just waiting for you dad just waiting for you to come and get me i knew you would Isn't that how we feel sometimes, maybe? Maybe you feel in your darkest hour, you're clinging, clinging to that post. And you just know, though it seems bleak, though it seems like we have no hope, God knows right where we are. God is going to help us. And that brings up the second thing there. Patience strengthens us, does it not? Psalms 27, 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. May I say it's not easy to wait, but when we do, he's strengthening us. And those seasons of trial and tribulation that are difficult, that are hard, and we wonder why, and God says, hey, I'm strengthening you through this. And one day you'll find out why. Patience takes discipline. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope 
patient in tribulation. I don't know about you, but I don't like being patient. My children, I have four of them, they're wonderful, but uh, their patience is slim sometimes. When, when, when are we going to Grandma's house? Next month. Tomorrow. When are we going to Grandma's house? Next month. When's that? Next month. You know. I don't understand. Waiting on God sometimes is not easy, but when we're patient in tribulation, the Bible tells us what to do. Continuing instant in prayer. You know, when we're being stretched, when we're being strengthened, when we're learning discipline, we're also leaning more on God by spending more time in prayer with Him. And then last of all, we see, first of all, that God is not absent in His plan. God admonishes us to be patient. And third of all, God uses Abimelech's desire to fulfill the purpose of His plan. That desire was not good, we know. That desire was fleshly. But God used it to fulfill his plan of taking out the elders of Shechem, giving judgment and chastisement to them, and eventually taking out Abimelech, the leader that should not have been there. And we see this morning that God has a perfect plan in your life and mine. Do you realize this morning as I was sending, sharing with my Sunday school class in Genesis 31, 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Do you realize God created a perfect world? He created everything perfect. But what did man do? We found a way to mess it up. You see, we are created for God's glory in Isaiah 43, 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. But man, instead of giving glory to God, they fell prey to the wiles of Satan, that old serpent. And they gave in and ate the forbidden fruit. They gave in to man's selfish pleasure. If you're writing, selfish pleasure. Wherefore is by one man sin into the world because of that. And death by sin because they forsook that forbidden fruit. It killed them spiritually. They needed a redeemer. Just like you and I do today. We need a redeemer. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Do you realize this morning, because not of your will, not because you wanted to, you were born a sinner. We were born into sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. No matter how tr- hard we try to do right, eventually we're going to do wrong somewhere along the line. We're going to miss the mark. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short. Oh, glory of God. That's a, a term of missing the mark. We've missed it. But God, though his perfect plan was thwarted by man's selfish pleasure, he still had the perfect plan when he sent Jesus Christ, his son, God in the flesh, to come to earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see God saving redemption. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us. Do you realize this morning that your sin is keeping you from God? The only way to get to him is not by good works. It's not by going to church. It's not by giving money. It's not by a, a, a man saying you're, you're good. Or you were born in a good family, so you're good. No, no, no. The only way is through the cross, through Jesus Christ and his blood that he shed for us. Do you realize this morning, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call, upon the Lord shall be saved. You must give your life to Jesus Christ. You must invite him in your life. You say, well, I, I've never done that. But I would, sure lo- I would sure love to. If Jesus would have me, I'd love to be his child. Oh, I want to give you that opportunity here in a few minutes. 
May I encourage you today that God is not absent in his plan. God admonishes you to be patient in his plan. And Abimelech's desire, God used to fulfill the purpose of his plan. And though it seems bleak, God is always in control. And God is always working every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one's looking around. We don't want to embarrass anyone. We're wrapping things up here today. But I do have one thing I have to ask. In a room this size, there may be one of you that would say, I, wow, we screwed up God's plan by our sin. I hate to admit it, but I've done wrong. And I need God's saving grace. I need his power. I need him. I don't want to go to hell and pay for my sin, which is what I deserve, but I want the wage of sin is death, but I want Jesus to pay for my penalty for me if he'll let me. How many would say, Pastor Justin, that's me this morning. I've never accepted Christ as my Savior, and I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to know for sure, without a doubt, that I'm going to heaven when I die. How many say, that's me, Pastor Justin. Would you pray for me? I want to accept Christ today. I see that hand in the back. Anybody this morning else, maybe? Maybe in the balcony, you'd say, that's me. Maybe over to my right over here, you say, Pastor Justin, I do not know for sure I'm going to heaven. I want to be saved. If you raise your hand, would you pray something like this in your heart? Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I deserve to go to hell. I don't want to go there. Please come into my heart and take away my sin so I can go to heaven when I die. Thank you, Jesus. I believe and trust in you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my way of thinking and invite you into my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to say, Pastor Justin, I prayed that prayer right then. I meant that. That you would slip your hand real quick. I want to rejoice with you. Anybody this morning? God bless you. I see that hand. Anybody else this morning? God bless you. If you accepted Christ as your Savior, you now can know for sure you're going to heaven. Maybe there's someone today that would say, Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you. I feel a little bit like Jotham did. I wonder sometimes God, if God is absent in the plan of, his li- of my life. And I just realized this when I got confirmation that God is not absent. Will you pray for me that I'll just keep trusting on him? If that's you, we slip up your hand this morning. I want to pray for you. God bless you all over. I see those hands. Maybe there's someone that say, you know what? Pastor Justin, I realized this morning that I need to be patient in God's plan. And I, it's not easy. I know I need to be strengthened. I realize I need to be disciplined. And God's doing a work in my life. Will you pray for me that God will help me through this time of my season of life? That you would slip up your hand, praying for patience maybe. And then last but not least, how many would say, you know what, oh, Pastor Justin, I, I realized this morning that God's at work and I just need to leave the results up to him. I just need to do what I know I need to do daily. And as I do that, God will take care of the rest. Will you pray for me that I'll stay faithful and the journey. If that's you this morning, we slip up your hand. God bless you, Lord. You see the hands, you know the hearts. I pray you'll help these dear people. Lord, may we learn from the life of Abimelech and Gael and Zebul. May we learn from the elders of Shechem. May we learn from Jotham. May we learn from these dear people who, Lord, they're, they're humans just like we were. We are. But they allowed their fleshly impulses. They rejected you. And because of that, Lord, they were destroyed ultimately because of their wickedness. 
Lord, I pray you'll be with our dear country, be with our world today, those who continuously abhor you, those who continuously spite you, those who continuously, Lord, put you down. May they know their time's coming. May you help us to be faithful witnesses of the gospel, a shining light in the darkness. May we be salt in in an area where they they need to see the truth of your word. Pray to be with those who are struggling with this area of patience. And may they be patient in your plan. May they trust your plan. And may you help them to keep doing what they know they should do daily and put the results up to you. Thank you for those who put their faith and trust in you this morning. I pray you'll bless this invitation to come, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could stand to your feet, the piano is going to play. We'll have just a brief invitation. We always have these every week, and you say, well, what's this for? What's this time of playing the piano and us just standing here? It's for you to have a time to get alone with God and pray. Maybe the Lord has touched your heart. Maybe you'd like one of our staff to pray for you. We'd love to. Maybe you need to take that next step of baptism, or maybe you'd like to join the church, or more information about that. Maybe maybe you just uh, need... That's some time to spend with God today. And that's what this time's for. Maybe you feel like you're where God needs you to be in your Christian walk. Will you pray for someone near you? That God would touch their life. God would help them. Maybe this morning there's someone that needs something. May I encourage you to cry out to God. He's listening. Spend some time with God this morning for a minute or two as the piano plays. God bless you. You may be seated. Quickly, we want to share with you a few upcoming events. We want to keep you in the know on some of these things, and uh, then we'll be dismissed this morning. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for the Lord's Supper, as well as a sermon from our young adult pastor, Cameron Howell. We are looking forward to Youth Explosion this Monday through Wednesday. This public school youth revival will be on March 6th through 8th. If you're interested in giving for this special outreach, you can donate by using a Youth Explosion envelope or designate Youth Explosion in your online giving. Please note that there will not be a normal Wednesday evening service, but church members are invited to come and sit in the balcony for the event. Daylight Savings Time will be next Sunday, March 12th. Don't forget to move your clocks forward one hour. Save the date for our Easter Outreach The Hunt on Saturday, April 1st. There are a few ways to get involved. First, you can pray for God to use this event to be a light to the surrounding communities. Second, you can donate individually wrapped candy in the bins in the church foyer. Third, you can stop by the office this week to pick up eggs to fill for the hunt. Fourth, you can sign up in the church foyer to help at a park. On Sunday, March 12th, there will be a very important meeting for all Sunday school teachers with Pastor Justin. Join us in the auditorium at 5 p.m. for the preliminary service. Then we will be dismissed to the Abundant Life Room after the special music. 
We will be challenged by a brief lesson, encouraging testimonies, and split time to be informed from our ministry leaders. Light refreshments will be provided. Join us for a wonderful opportunity to help your child sing and develop their voices through our 2023 Children's Easter Choir. This is for children five years old through fifth grade. We will be performing during the dramatic musical production, Almighty, on Friday, April 7th at 7 p.m. and Sunday, April 9th at 11 a.m. Join us for practice on Sunday, March 12th at 5.30. If you are interested in having your child sing, please sign up at the welcome desk. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you'll receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. Well, remember two things. God loves you and this pastor loves you. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you soon. Take care. God bless. (laughs) 